Welcome to NHL at the Rink, our weekly podcast covering all the stories in the NHL, big and small. I'm Dan Rosen, your host, NHL.com senior writer, and to my right, Mr. Sean P. Rourke, our senior director of editorial at NHL.com. We're trying something new here. We got the two-man podcast. What do you think of this, Sean? Two's better than one. I can't believe this is my first trip into the podcasting cave. Well, this, this is, is pretty sweet. This is a, this is quite the swanky digs that we got here too. This you is know? where the magic. We happens. have a round table and microphones. That's what we have here. That's all you need. To That's make all the magic you need. happen when you have two people like us doing. <laughs> That's right. Uh, typically, off the top, I'll do like three things that caught my attention, Sean. But let's do three things that just we want to discuss, and they're actually right from the desk of Sean P. Rourke over here because you brought them to our attention. The Kako vs. Hughes week. It's Thursday night. One versus two. Devils and Rangers in in Newark at Prudential Center. Uh, I'm going to be doing a story on what this means to the rivalry. We've got other uh, stories running about this. We've got uh, a lot of our writers contributing to, to who they think is going to have a bigger impact. So what do you make of this matchup right now, and especially where these two teams and where these two players are? Kako got his first goal. Jack Hughes still needs to get the point. Yeah, and and that's the difficult part, right? It comes. Everybody wanted it to come early in the season, but it's so hard to draw conclusions. The Devils have played six games, have not been very good in in any of them for yeah. a full 60 minutes they've been good at times and then they've lost two games where they've had three or more goal leads which is kind of unbelievable in the nhl at, at this point in time and, and Kako has only played three games uh, the devils have have been off forever um, the range, yeah the range, I mean, it's, the range it's was such a weird schedule yeah, yeah they, they were off 11 days right? yeah one game in 11 days yeah. or something like that yeah, i'm sure they all loved listening to <laughs> yeah. quinn for for <laughs> 11 days but so now they get to play it'll be exciting some of the lust has been taken off by the devils being 04 and 2 and huge struggling, um, but this is going to be a long-term thing. This is this is Sid Ovi, right? I, I this think is so. the new generation of that. I, neither player is not going to be good, um, you know. So for years, they're going to battle, and it, much of the hockey world is going to be looking at the New York, New Jersey. Hudson River rivalry, and I and I think not being parochial because we're from here, I think that's important to hockey. I think it's very important to hockey. But the thing is, it, we say it's like Sid Ovi, and I, and I get that. These guys are separated by a river. It, it's, what, 10 miles or 12 miles between the two arenas? We've never seen this before. Sidovi, Pittsburgh, Washington, it's a great rivalry, but there's a stretch of land there that you're separating those two. We, I mean, McDavid, Eichel, which is what everybody talks about, and I still think you know McDavid is certainly ahead, uh, but we still lump those two together. You're talking about Buffalo and Edmonton. This is, this is geographically, this is unique. Yeah, and I think for a more current one, you're, you're talking about Austin Matthews and and Line and Line, right? And it was the same kind of dynamic. It's the wing and the center. Who's more important? Right. Uh, Line very outspoken about how much he wanted to be the better of the two. Kako to a degree the same way. You know, he he's taking it somewhat personally, and 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 that's great. I think guys should want to be the best, and they they want all those trappings that go with it. So and and the Matthews. Line a thing is still developing, right? Like they've each had a kind of a turn at it. Line a had the big goal year. Matthews has clearly put together two, three years now where he's been an elite player. So I, I think this continues to percolate and bubble, and it's not going to end on Thursday night. But I expect a really good first chapter in this rivalry yeah, on I Thursday. Th I, you saw Jack Hughes get so frustrated after failing to score against the Panthers. I expect him to have his best game. 
on Thursday. I still can't believe he didn't score that, that goal. Amazing. Both posts. Yeah. Yeah, you're watch. dying. You're dying for a goal. You're yeah. drowning, <laughs> and and that's what you do. And he got up. He banged his stick, and you're just like, oh man, it's going to be a long game for him. And and they came back. They were up what four to two, they four, four one at one. that time. Yeah, yeah, and it ended up being a huge turning point. So one who has three goals though in the same division, Sam Lafferty, which we all had. You know, for every, everybody thought Sam Lafferty of the Pittsburgh Penguins would have three goals at this point. Yet. I joke, but he this fourth round pick. He played at Brown full time in Wilkesbury Scranton last year. He's put up some numbers for the for the Penguins so far. They are playing without Malkin, without Bugstad, without Rust, without Galchenyuk, and yet they're putting up touchdowns in games, seven goals three times. They still have some pretty good players. They right? do. They have yeah. Sidney Crosby. Sid's had a pretty good run. They have Chris Letang. They have Jake Gensel. So I mean, look, they have some great players, but God bless them and. and Scranton Wilkesbury has been a pipeline for them yeah, for years. I, I mean, when you have that many superstars on your team and the money you're devoting to those core players, you need to be able to kind of round it out with some players that you develop on your own on the cheap and can kind of cycle through as they get better. They need to move on because you don't have room in the cap and you need to keep kind of backfilling. And everybody that they've had coaching in, in Scranton, which is kind of a cradle of NHL coaches, John Hines coached there, uh, Sullivan coached there, a bunch of guys have been, made to the NHL so it's kind of been a perfect setup for them um, to kind of do this but of course you're surprised at Sam Lafferty he's never scored more than 13 goals as a professional or at Brown he wasn't a scorer no. at Brown but it, you, A you know he's a smart guy he knows where to go on the ice right, <laughs> yeah, right. you got to be smart to go to Brown and, and he probably learned a thing or two in Rhode Island because everybody learns when they're in Rhode Island for a few years so uh, <laughs> there you go there's the Rhode Island pop <laughs> you got to get the Rhode Island mafia in there and and Look, there's a lot of guys that have come through Pittsburgh that have had good numbers, again, because of the guys they're yeah. playing with. And he's not playing with those guys, but he's seen better matchups and, and he's able to, to do some things because of the way that teams have to play Pittsburgh. What a, what a great story, though. This is a guy who grew up a diehard Penguins fan in, I love the name of this town, Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania. It's just terrific. He was a diehard Penguins fan, and here he gets an opportunity to play for his team and produce for them. Every time they mention his hometown, I think of the vacation yeah. movies. Yeah, right? Holidaysburg. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And uh, look, and this is when we realize how old we are. He's a guy that went into hockey and, and kind of made it his passion because he was inspired by Mario Lemieux coming back yeah. from, from cancer. And I was at that game when he came back in December. Well, you're old. I mean, well, I know. I'm, I'm ancient. I'm but I, I was already a, a full-time working employee here at the NHL. That was my first trip. NHL.com or one of them and uh, was Mario's comeback game and and here's a kid who basically took to the ice because of that so uh, it's a great story and the Penguins are a great story so far uh, you know to, to come off that road trip and and not be dead in the water after all the injuries they've taken it says a ton about that team before we get to our first guest who is uh, Mike Kelly from the pointhockey.com and does some work for NHL Network as well wanted to touch on the Oilers as well they're five and one they lost against the Blackhawks on Monday, ending a streak of five straight games to start a season with come-from-behind wins. That's an NHL record. What do you make of the Oilers right now? We'll dive in a little later, too, to uh, a little stock market uh, on Edmonton and a few other teams. But quickly, just what do you think of the Oilers right now? I am not sure if it's sustainable. And, you know, I look at the Buffalo Sabres from last year and how hot they were at the beginning and where they finished second to last in the East. Um, I see some parallels there. I'm worried about their depth scoring. But the one thing, the two things that I really like about them is their defense. 
yeah. their defensive structure, not their defense. With, with Larson, her, their defensive depth. No, but their structure has been really good. Dave Tippett yeah. knows how to get a team to play, um, so they're not giving up a ton of chances. Um, and, and I love their attitude, right? This is an Edmonton team that maybe last year, if they were down in games, couldn't come back or, or didn't believe they could come back. And I, and I think the ability to do that sets a tone for the rest of the season you can always draw on that when you're in a close game and, and you know the odds are stacked against you you can say hey remember when we did this remember when we came back four times against the devils and beat them like that that's the mark of a, a psychologically solid team and i think that's hugely important when the margins are so small yeah i, I did a story on the oilers and i i just i love the f- i don't love the fact that they've been in 11 one goal deficits already this season but i love the fact that they've come back from 10 of them couldn't do it against chicago but they're an interesting team to watch no question about it well let's get to our first guest he as i said he is mike kelly from thepointhockey.com and he does some work for nhl network turning his data-driven analysis this exceptional data-driven analysis into stories that fans can understand mike thanks for joining hey my pleasure guys thanks for having me I wanted to quickly, before we really get into some teams here, I always find this fascinating, how people who do what you do look at the game through data-driven analysis. How do you watch a game? What are you looking for as you watch a game? That's a great question. And um, so, you know, my, my background, I, I worked for a number of years um, at TSN, NHL Network, watching games with uh, the analysts that we would work with, um, guys that played in the NHL, coached, managed, um, kind of learned how to watch the game through their eyes over a number of years. And then in the last five years, I've been working with um, third-party data suppliers that, that collect just a ton of information about the game um, and can kind of quantify just about anything that happens on the ice. So um, it, it, it's the same thing in the end, which is pattern recognition. But now instead of looking for patterns on the ice, uh, or in addition to that, it's looking at, at patterns in, in the data that we collect uh, as well and then how to interpret it. So to answer your question, how do I watch a game? Um, you know, being able to understand, I guess, the strengths and weaknesses of players and teams and what they're trying to do, you certainly watch for those things. Um, but, you know, knowing what, uh, you know, for instance, Matt Barzell or Patrick Kane or Nathan McKinnon, um, how many zone entries they collect. Uh, always right up near the top of the league, knowing which players um, are really good at completing passes to certain areas or shooting from certain areas, and then you see it happen on the ice. Um, that's probably a little bit different where, you know, I'll see, I'll see Patrice Bergeron knock a pass down in the offensive zone like he did a few games ago and set up a goal for Brad Marchand and know that Bergeron is right now at the top of the league among forwards and block passes. Um, so that, that's kind of what goes through my head as I watch a hockey game, which uh, – can be kind of annoying when you just want to sit down and have a beer and watch a game uh, with family like I did on the weekend, but um, that's that's how I go about it. But also, it's not just, you know, you're not just looking at shots on goal, or you're looking where the shot's coming from, right? I mean, the dangerous areas of the ice as opposed to uh, just a regular shot that might get through. I mean, those are other aspects of the, that you're looking for too, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and even just beyond where the shots are coming from, how are they getting there? Um, are they off the rush? Are they cycle chances? Is it from a four check? Um, was there a lateral pass? Was there a cross ice pass? Did the goalie move in the net? Um, all, all of those things go into to creating, you know, ultimately the highest danger opportunity that you can to score. Um, if, if you just look at the kind of that home plate slot area that a lot of people are familiar with, 
the odds of scoring a goal from there are about 16%. Uh, typical league shooting percentage is around 9%. Um, and then anything on the perimeter is about 3%. So there's a reason that, you know, I talk about the slot area a lot um, because it, it, it's, you know, scoring goals from outside of it is so difficult to do. Uh, getting pucks into those areas is, is exactly what the other team's uh, trying to defend against. Um, so, yeah, how how you get there is, is just as important um, as where you're getting those shots from and ultimately how many goals you end up scoring as a result. Mike, you spoke about how you learned how to watch the game and, and you learned from a lot of people, a lot of analysts that played the game and, and, and see the game clearly one way. I'm curious, as as the numbers have built out and, and the patterns have become more recognizable and the sample sizes are bigger, do the numbers for the most part mimic what hockey players think even currently like when they look at players you know they form an opinion and they're like hey this guy's really good at this and he's good on the forecheck and he's good at this and do the numbers tend to mimic what is the common held opinion or are they different in a lot of cases um i think for the most part on on a pretty basic level absolutely i mean players are going to know which guy has a good shot um, which guy's a good passer. Those, those are things that are kind of easy to pick up with the eye test, I guess, or, or that would certainly match the numbers. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. And, and if I've learned one thing in, in the work that I've done, um, it, it's a, you, you constantly need to pull the thread to get to the, the, the end of an analysis. It's just rarely ever is it as simple as, you know, okay, eye test tells me this, I look at this number, and there you go. Uh, there's always layers to it. I'll, I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, Mike Babcock called – Zach Hyman, the best four checker in the NHL. So I thought, okay, that's an interesting statement. I'm going to look at the information I have available and, and see if that kind of bears out. And what I noticed is that Zach Hyman engages in more puck battles in the offensive zone every year than any other forward. He also loses a, a high percentage <laughs> of those puck battles. So it's something he does a lot, doesn't win a ton of these battles. So I think to myself, how can you be the best four checker in the league if you're losing a lot of these battles you're engaging in. But then I go and talk to people that have played the game, um, and, and one common thing they all said was, you know, there is inherent value in just being involved in those battles. Because even if you don't come out with a puck, maybe your teammate's going to come out with the puck. Uh, you're extending zone time. You're, you're holding it in below the other team's goal line often. Um, so there's massive value just being in the fight. And, you know, those are things, that's just one example of kind of how I've learned to just continue to pull the thread to try to get to the end um, while looking at a number or even a couple numbers uh, often doesn't tell you the whole story. Let, let's pull the thread on another topic, sticking with the Toronto Maple Leafs, because I watched the video on thepointhockey.com that you did with Craig Button about situational awareness uh, for, for the, and, the light, and maybe the Leafs' lack of it, situational awareness, stretch passes at times where maybe a safer play you know, is, is required. For example, it, dive into this for us a little bit, Mike, in, in, in terms of the situational awareness with the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, and, and how maybe that impacts what we see on the ice and results that we're getting some, at times from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, so this was after a couple of losses uh, where they'd given up leads uh, in the second period and the third period. Uh, Montreal, they were up 4-1 and, and uh, ended up losing the game. St. Louis, they were up 2-1. They ended up losing. So the Montreal game, 4-2 um, lead, stretch pass, misses for an icing, face-off in Toronto's end, and, and Gallagher scores uh, right off the draw. Um, the St. Louis game, there's a minute left in the second period. Morgan Riley tries a stretch pass uh, with the Leafs having a one-goal lead. 
the Blues read it, knock it down, uh, end up scoring a goal and tying it before the third period, and they end up winning the game. So these are situations, and, and again, if you go back to Game 7 of the Boston series last year, the first goal of that game was scored on a failed stretch pass where Boston's sitting on it and, and picks it off. You go back a couple of years ago, and, and Maple Leaf fans certainly know about Jake Gardner, and a couple of ill-advised stretch passes he made that were picked off and went back the other way for goals. So the Leafs aren't, you know, last season they attempted more stretch passes than any team in the league by a good margin, uh, a big part of their game. Gardner's gone now. He's, you know, a guy that made a ton of those passes. Uh, Travis Dermott's not in the lineup. He's a guy that makes a ton of those passes. So they're not doing it as much, but they don't seem to be able to adjust in-game when the other team's making adjustments. Like, I look at that St. Louis game, and the Maple Leafs had a terrific first period, really carried the play. Um, adjustments are made in the intermission. They come back out in the second and third, and St. Louis is, is reading these passes now and intercepting them, um, creating goals off them as they did in that game. The Maple Leafs, for a couple of years, it seems that they really struggle making in-game adjustments, and that's the situational awareness where maybe that play that you kind of default to isn't the best play in a certain situation. Um, there's been a lot of turnover in terms of players. The one constant is the coaching, and that's where I wonder um, the ability uh, to, to adjust in-game for the Maple Leafs, if that's something that's going to hurt them down the road, because it certainly has in the past. Mike, we're uh, one of the themes of the podcast as we go through it today is we're playing a little bit of the NHL stock market, who we're buying and who we're selling after two weeks because God knows that's a big enough sample size, right, oh, yeah. to make all kinds of yeah. no yeah. overreactions Let's, 100%. here. <laughs> Let's dump so, the life savings into something here, yeah. Exactly. So one of the teams that we wanted to talk about with you is St. Louis. You were just mentioning them. You know, they, they won that game against – against uh, Toronto, but they've blown a couple of leads uh, most recently against the Islanders yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what What have you seen from them so far? And, and you know, it, it was last year's three-month run uh, a run, or are the underlying numbers suggesting that's who they are? Yeah, so at the start of last year, I picked the Blues to get to the cup final or win the cup. I don't remember. I was pretty high on them, and then I was thinking I was – a big idiot around January because they were in last place in the league and then they go on this huge heater so when they went on that run everything that was underneath in terms of numbers um, suggested you know what this this isn't just a team playing well they're executing in every facet of the game they are going to be a dangerous team obviously they weren't doing that the first few months of the season Um, they go on and they win a Stanley Cup they this season I think they're fortunate to have I think it's eight points in the six games they've played. The special teams have been pretty good, but yeah, they blow that that game against the Islanders. Um, it even strength, man. They're not creating a lot of offense, and they're giving up a ton of opportunities. Um, you know, Bennington was really good in that Toronto game. The Canadians absolutely smoked them. Um, so again, I think we've all realized not to count the St. Louis Blues out in October, let alone you know. <laughs> January, December, whenever they can go on a run. They're still a really good team. Um, but right now, I, I think they're lucky to have the record they have. So I'm going to put you on the spot. You said you were high on the Blues last year, and, and it came to fruition. What team that nobody's really looking at this year or who's already started out uh, not so well is Mike Kelly high on? Uh, good call. Well, I mean, it's pretty high on Colorado at the start of the year, but they're 5-0, and so <laughs> it's not really a sneaky pick right now. Um you got to give me. You got to give me a stock that I'm going to put five dollars on and be able to retire on. Sean wants to buy low. You want to buy low? There's not a team I think that's really struggling right now that I think is really good. That's the short answer. I think there's teams that 
are better than their record indicates. Um, but there's not any team that's kind of below 500 that I think, you know what, this is a, a, a real playoff threat team that, that may be really good. Um, what about the Devils, Mike? What, what about the Devils? They, they, they made so many different adjustments in the offseason. They, they, yeah. they upgraded what we thought was upgrading in so many different areas. And yet here they are off to this start. They can't hold a lead. They blew it against Winnipeg. They blew it against Florida. They blew it against Edmonton three times. Where are, are the Devils better than this? Or are their numbers suggesting this is – I mean, they're going to win a game. We know that. But uh, what, are the, what are their numbers <laughs> suggesting? Well, I think with New Jersey, you have to remember that they were a lottery team last year. And, and for them to just be a playoff team this year, there would have to be such a massive improvement. And, and you're right. They did get better. They're, you know, Hughes is there, obviously. Subban, Taylor Hall, you know, healthy, all that stuff. But um, their special teams are an absolute nightmare. Uh, the, the power play has, has been bad. The penalty kill um, has been really bad. So that's a, that's an issue. Uh, the goaltending is still a pretty big question mark. The Devils, to me, are not a great team. Um, obviously, they have two points in six games. They haven't won a game yet. Um, but I don't think they're going to be a playoff team or, or close to it. Um, the Dallas Stars, I, I, you know, I said at the start of the season, I, I think they're being overvalued by people um, because I just thought that creating offense was still going to be a bit of a, a bit of a battle for them. They were a really good defensive team last year. They've been kind of closer to average this year, and, and offense has been hard to come by. Again, one win in seven games. I don't, I don't think anyone expected that, but um, I, I also don't think they're an elite team. So uh, I wouldn't say, you know, throw a bunch of money into that stock. Uh, there are teams that I think the Kings have played better than the record indicates, but again, I don't think they're going to threaten anybody in, or, or, or be a, you know, a lock playoff team or anything like that. Um, Anaheim Ducks are playing better this year. Last year, they were such a nightmare at the start of the season defensively. They were giving up, you know, 25 attempts from the slot per game for like 10 games at the start of the year, and Gibson was basically Superman for them. Uh, they've actually been pretty good defensively this year, and, and Gibson is really good. Uh, their power play is a bit of a gong show right now, but um, they look better, which is encouraging. All That's right. it. I'm putting my stock money on the Anaheim Ducks. There you go. No, here's what we're going to do. Go we're going to have Mike on in the podcast later on in the season. We're going to see where we are with some of these teams, and then I, I'm going to make the decision if I have to consult him before I make my predictions for next season because I picked the Devils to make the playoffs and I picked the Stars to make the playoffs, and he just told me that neither one of them would have been good enough good picks. Well, I, had to, I picked the Stars to be a wild card team, and I got a lot of flack from people like, wild card, are you kidding me? Like, obviously <laughs> they're top three, so we'll see. But I'll, I'll give you two teams that um, I wouldn't buy right now that are both top five in the NHL. Um, Number one is the Edmonton Oilers. I still think the ceiling for them is being in the playoff hunt. Um, they're 5-1 and one right now. They're kind of dining out on a power play that scored, um, I think they've got eight goals uh, so far this season in six games. Five on five, I'm not loving the way this team's playing. They've been pretty good defensively. Dave Tippett's come in. Um, but outside of that top line, there's not a lot there. So I'd be surprised if the Oilers make the playoffs. Uh, and I, I would have said that at the start of the season. I still think that, even though they're five and one, and the Sabers five zero oh and one, um, they actually look okay. Uh, but I still don't know that there's enough there. So we'll have to see see a little bit more of them. Uh, but those are two teams that I, I would not buy stock at the uh, the current value right now. 
Well, you just teased what we're going to talk about a little later in this podcast. So definitely appreciate that. And you coming on, Mike. This was terrific. It's thepointhockey.com, and you can follow Mike at Mike Kelly NHL on Twitter. Thanks a lot, Mike. Hey, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Great stuff from Mike. Just I, I love that type of analysis, Sean. I think he really, you know, it, it drives home points about teams. But one of the things, one of the teams he mentioned, we'll do a little stock report ourselves here. The Dallas Stars, he brought it up. Where are you with the Dallas Stars? Are we buying, selling Stars right now? Struggling, obviously. 1-5-1, one, and one, really struggling to score, which was a problem last year, too, but their goaltending and defense was terrific. Well, I'm buying, right? I, I think they make the playoffs. There's a couple of guys on our staff here at NHL.com that picked them to get to the final. Yeah. I think there might have been one that picked them to win. I, I can't quite remember. Um, but they were such a good team last year they were they were one overtime goal away from knocking st louis out who ended up winning everything so look when you have a goalie like bishop and you have defense that they have and they're young and they're only going to get better the goals have to come there's no way that this is a well, team that scores less than two goals a game in seven games well that's the thing i mean tyler sagan's got i think three points uh Two points for Jamie Ben through game, their game played Monday against Buffalo. The, these guys, ha- I mean, we can talk all we want about goaltending and defense. At some point, these guys have to step up and start producing some offense. They had they averaged two point five five goals per game last season, and they were really held up by their goaltending and their defense. I sh- I said this about the Islanders too, and I, I don't believe it can happen two years in a row. So you need to score. Yeah, well, and Corey Perry's not been introduced to the lineup yet, and I was able to talk to Jim Neal when I was in Traverse City, and he's so high on him. He's talked about the fact that it takes more than a year to come back from a knee injury like Perry has and his track record. And I, I just think the depth that that adds to their top six makes them a more difficult team to play against when he gets back. And the, obviously the big question is going to be, can he stay healthy? Are you throwing your money at the Carolina Hurricanes? You buying oh. them? Oh, yeah. yeah. Rod Brindamore, man. <laughs> <laughs> like in Rod, we trust, right? In, uh, Rod, I mean, that, it, in that D, we trust. Yeah, well, that's a huge part of it. When you're talking about the Eastern Conference finalists, you can argue whether that was a bit of a fluke or not. But there's there's no arguing that that D is an elite top five defense in the league. Some great young scorers on that team. Look, they're as good as they are right now, and they're at the top of the Eastern Conference, and Sebastian Ajo has one goal. Yeah, they, they're shooting a ton, too. And, and it's oh, – we touched on it with Mike about how shot quality is important and inside that home plate area, but you got to get the puck there. So you're shooting, and it hits off a goaltender. They, they're, you know, through – we're recording this Tuesday, 37 shots on goal per game for yeah. Carolina. And the one thing that I would argue, and, and I – it's hard too is you know there's high danger shots but sometimes you can't get in there and you shoot from from bad places on the ice or or not as convertible places on the ice but you're not trying to score you're trying to generate rebounds and and crash the net and and I think you know that's the way Rod Brindamore played when he was when he was a player and I think that's the way he's kind of having Carolina play they're always around the goal they're always looking for loose pucks um so all their shots may not be great, but I think sometimes there's an ulterior motive behind some of them. Another team, which is a hot team right now, the Buffalo Sabres, and Mike touched on them too. I like the Sabres right now. I, I think the Sabres are better than I even thought they could be, or certainly would be, but they're fast. They're moving the puck so well. They're playing with this freedom right now that you just love to see. They have talent. Their power play, Victor Olofsson has just been terrific on their power play with his shot. I don't know about you. I think it'll come down. Their goals per game are going to come down. Their power play percentage, which is above 40%, will come down. 
they'll lose in regulation at some point. But I'm buying the Sabres. I'm having a tough time buying them. Past history. Look, there's two things I'm going to tell you that would lead me to maybe buy them. One is Ralph Kruger. I'm a big believer in him ever since the World Cup. And I think, you know, you talked about Olofsson, and I wonder how many coaches in the NHL would give Olofsson the, the opportunities that he's gotten yeah. in his first year in the NHL. There's not a lot of guys that come up, and he's a little bit older than some other, some other players that come up, but not a lot of guys that come up that get that kind of power play opportunity first line right out of the he gate. He can bring it. He can rifle it, though. Well, I know, yeah. but how many coaches yeah. unproven would say, hey, go out and let's play to your strengths? And I think that is the beauty of Ralph. And then the other thing is, is past history, right? I mean, they've been a good team before early on, and, and they play in a rugged rugged division right they're going to play a lot of games against the Bruins a lot of games against the Lightning a lot of games against the Toronto Maple Leafs so um, you know I would like to hold on to this stock for a little <laughs> while and then maybe short sell it I should say this I'm buying the Sabres but I don't think I'll buy them full price right now I wouldn't pay full price but I'd be close I'd be close with Buffalo I I just like what I have seen from them right now a game Wednesday night that I want to look at and it's it's a test, I think, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're going to be home. They're playing the Colorado Avalanche. The game's on NBCSN. The Avs are off to a terrific start. The Penguins, a little bit of a surprising start from their injuries. What do you make about either one of these teams? How did we get this to be a test for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Well, the Pittsburgh Penguins. And Crosby, too, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But the Pittsburgh Penguins are the litmus test for the whole league. Not Have anymore. been for years. So you're telling me there's a change in the guard? I love the Colorado team, right? Their defense, again, we talk a lot about defense. You know, Sam Girardi, I think, gets lost in all the other young defensemen we have in this league right now fantastic player you know their top line ranton and, and mckinnon and and uh landis are unbelievable um but i still think that the colorado avalanche are such a young team that this is a test for them to come into pittsburgh uh, with a team that's red hot and and show what they can do against them and and not the other way around well maybe we'll get to some of these teams with our next guest steve goldstein from he's the voice of the Florida Panthers, one of the most interesting teams in the NHL early this season, and he is also the pride of Canarsie High School in Brooklyn. Steve, thanks for joining us. Go Chiefs! <laughs> I haven't uh, heard the Canarsie High School reference in years, so I appreciate the uh, the nice introduction. I'm doing well. Well, there well, we you were, go. We were just debating whether you were the second or third most famous alum from Canarsie High I'm, School behind World Be Free. I'm going World Be Free over you, Steve, but you might but get you it over John Sally. But you also got Spider Sally, who won all those championships and became a talk show host. John Sally went to Canarsie, and we used to call him Howie. You may know him as Howard Schultz. He owns that company that makes the coffee. You might have heard of it. There's a few of them around the world. Uh, what company would that be? That'd be, that would be Starbucks, <laughs> Howie Schultz. Excuse me, he's Howard Schultz. Howard. All right. All right. Mm, well, we know Starbucks, but we'll stay with number two. You're, you're, I'm sorry, you, you don't beat World Be Free, but you're number two in my book. I like it. I had a Howard Schultz. That's good. There you go. So, so you were in the New York area uh, the last couple of days. What's Goldie's go-to in the New York area? You know, it's always great coming back. I did not get to go back to Brooklyn. Not many people still live in Brooklyn, especially in Canarsie. Some people live downtown. You know, that's all exploded the last couple of decades. Um, you know, I still love going to John's Pizza in the city. Um, I like going to Junior's, you know, the famous oh, cheesecake. Yeah. But the Panthers didn't play at Barclays this time. We played at the Coliseum. Um, so on Long Island, you know, it's kind of like the mall. You know, you go to Roosevelt Field. That brings out back some memories, too, over there. 
Well, well, you could come visit the office. We got both the John's Pizza right around the corner and a Junior's. Yeah, we did. Offshoot. Junior's in Times so Square. You can have dinner yeah, and dessert. You guys tell me when the trip is over and invite me. Very nice. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, where was this five days ago? <laughs> well, we got you on the podcast anyway. So, all right. <laughs> so, so let's talk here. This was a a really nice win for the Panthers. I thought in Newark against the Devils, they were down four to one, came back, won the game six to four. Did they figure something out in Newark, Steve? Well, you know, the last three games have kind of been like that. Now, they didn't beat Buffalo and the Islanders. Um, but every game they were down going to the third period. They were down 2 nothing in Buffalo, came back to tie it on Friday night, down 2-1 against the Islanders, came back to tie it Saturday. Um, and then the other night they were down, you know, on Sunday, down 4-1, Monday, down 4-1 in Jersey, got it to 4-3 before the end of the second period, and already the momentum had shifted. So you're talking about a team – that on the road trip came back three times to get points. They lost the other two games in shootouts. But, yeah, I think they, they're realizing, um, and by the way, they started those games fairly well also. That second period is when, you know, they get into some bad old habits and they're not playing Joel Quenville's north-south system and move it quickly and support the puck. Um, you know, it's only been six games. But, but, yeah, there's a belief on this team, and I think they're realizing, hey, that guy has won a ton. If we play the way he wants us to, we got a hell of a team because when they're going like they were in the second half of the game yesterday, I know Jersey's struggling, but the Panthers guys really flat out dominated that game, scoring five straight goals. Look, and we know the core is there, right? Barkoff, Huberto, all those guys are there. The the thing that impressed me on Monday was their their bottom two lines kind of drove that comeback, right? You had Achari score a goal, you had Uyghur score. Um, it was kind of the unsung heroes. I, I would assume that there's a huge part of, of that equation where you have to have faith in those guys because you know what your top six are going to do. And, and they've done it without Barkoff really contributing much so far. Yeah, he hasn't scored a goal yet, has some assists, you know, playing fairly well all around in that line with Dadenoff and Huberto starting to really click. But uh, your point, Sean, is on the money, and those are the two guys. Mackenzie Weger and Nola Chari. Um, you know, Achari was an under-the-radar free agent signing. We all know what he did in the playoffs last year. I mean, ridiculous. The guy had a broken body and, you know, basically played the whole way through to Game 7. And that fourth line for the Bruins was matched up a lot with the other team's, you know, top lines at home. Bruce Cassidy went with, you know, Achari and face-offs. So the Panthers really targeted him in free agency because Quenville says he plays exactly the way we want to play. Um, and then Mackenzie Weger is a guy that you know is kind of a product of development. He was the sixth to last draft pick in the entire draft in 2013. Became an AHL All Star, worked his way into the NHL, and it's also a product of the new coach. You know, every time a coach takes over, you know there are a few that fall the the bad way, and there's a few that rise the other way. And Mackenzie Weger is a guy that you know Quenville, as we've known from over the years, doesn't throw out the compliments. You know, after he's a fine. game. He said he's fine. He, <laughs> That's what he likes about it. When he likes the guy, he says, oh, he's fine. Right. Well, he used he threw two outstandings for Uyghur in a 15-second soundbite after the game Monday. And the quote, he had a special game. Wow. Like, that's Connor that McDavid like. Joel Quendell saying you belong in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's a Connor McDavid like game right there. Exactly, exactly. So you hit on the head, Sean. Those two guys really um, have stepped up for this team. And as you, as you stated, you know, we know about the big core guys, the guys with, you know, high draft picks and all-star appearances and contracts, but guys like Achari and Weger and even Dennis Morgan to a lesser extent. You know, Quenville's starting to really like his game, and he's using him a lot too. You know, Steve, you mentioned Quenville a bunch here already, and I, I, I 
got to ask, you've been around the team for so long. What's different? Well, what is this Joel Quenville effect on the Florida Panthers in terms of everything in the organization, maybe? You know, it's interesting. They've got a situation now where the owner, Vinny Viola, as everybody knows, you know, there's 700 Gs under the cap. They're also paying, you know, Luongo and a couple of buyout guys like Scott Darling and still playing some of Jason Demers' contract. And we know what Quenville's making. Vinny Viola, you know, for a franchise historically that hasn't had great attendance and huge season ticket base, is spending $90 million bucks on hockey. So, number one, you have the commitment from the ownership, Vinny Viola and Doug Sifu on the team. Number two, Dale Talon has a guy that he explicitly trusts and, you know, will listen to input on personnel um, 100%. So, number one, everybody is on the same page. So, if you don't do what the coach wants, you know, there's no, well, Dale drafted me and maybe I can slide by or maybe they'll get rid of the coach. There is none of that. Um, as far as the effect, you know, the practices are really hard. They're fast. And, you know, we don't see it often, guys. You know, the NHL and in all sports. But after that Carolina game where they gave up five goals in the first 22 minutes and lost, the next day was an old-school bag skate. And I've been around here a long time. And there's been a lot of games over the years, over the last 20 years, the Panthers would lose going down 5 nothing. And the next day, honestly, everybody's walking in. It's 80 and sunny. we got the shorts and the flip-flops on, little practice, and then back home. And Joel Quenville is kind of putting the foot down and changing the culture. And you know what? The players I've talked to welcome it. They think it's necessary. They think they need it. These guys want to be coached. They want to be better. So I think it's just starting, but Joel Quenville is um, you know, really starting to change the culture of hockey around around the Panthers. Yeah, and you talked about the players kind of accepting it, and I, and I would think those guys that have been there for a long time, you know, and have been close, they've only been to the playoffs one time, but they, they every year they kind of make that push to get close and fall short. I think they understand what the margins are now, and they're willing to accept a little bit more guidance, especially from somebody who's been able to to bring another team to such heights for so long it's one thing if you're a new coach and you're trying to say hey this is the way we get there or you're a coach with three rings on your fingers and you can just kind of put them on the table and say this is the way yeah. we're doing it boys yeah i think you're 100 right that last part i think they've always wanted to be coached guys do want to be coached guys want to win i mean especially in the nhl i mean guys want to win um you know that's number one they grow up dreaming of that stanley cup and if you know they're not from North America and maybe they didn't, they they acquire that very quickly being in the culture. So I think you hit it on the head that you know the three of us could go in there and try to run a team and they'll go, who are these three guys? I'm not listening to them. I know more than they do. You're not doing that with Joel Quinville because he's he's been there um, and he's done that. And you're really starting to see like taking the road trip. Aaron Ekblad, you know, he was a plus player. He had four points in the three games and he played 27 minutes a night and he was right in there in the third period on you know, both goals, the tying goal and then the game-winning goal by Achari. So, um, you know, there's a guy that's really starting to embrace it, embrace the role, and embrace the way Quenville wants them to play. You know, very simple in the defensive zone. It's not that complicated. So um, they're starting to, you know, not not think so much and, and just play the game the way he wants them to play it. All right, I wanted to bounce around with you a little bit too because some of the teams that you have seen already, Buffalo and Carolina. Are you buying the Sabres now, and are you buying the Hurricanes now, or are you selling on either one? Well, you know, first off, it's hard not to buy on Carolina because they did it last year. Yeah. So, you know, and now they started this way. You know, I still look at the goaltending, and I kind of always liked Peter Morazic. You know, he, when he was in Detroit as a young player, you know, backing up Jimmy Howard, he, he had a lot of good games and always thought he was pretty good, and obviously he had a big dip. 
um, in his play. You know, you know, the stint in Philly didn't go well, uh, but now he's playing well. So, you know, you look at the goaltending and you say, ah, maybe it doesn't hold up, but, you know, that defense might be the most complete defense in the league. Um, I think they've got a merging superstar. We talk about all the young stars nobody mentions yet. Sveshnikov. This guy is really talented, big, strong. Uh, Brendan Moore's put him in a second-line position there on the wing. Um, so I really like him a lot. Um, and I just think the culture that Rod Brindamore has been able to establish, you know, a guy that they obviously buy in and listen to. So, um, you know, it's hard to not go in with Carolina. You know, you look at the roster, you may say, well, where's the superstars? And, you know, you kind of said that probably January 8th of this year about the St. Louis Blues, right? Where's the superstars? Yeah. Where's the goalie? And look what happened. You know, Buffalo's a different case. I do question their goaltending. Um, I do think – very deft uh, pickup there on that blue line. I've always been a big Colin Miller fan from the time he was in Boston. I'm not sure why exactly he fell out of favor in Vegas. Um, so they've added some, you know, veteran stability back to that blue line, which is really needed. A little bit of help for Darlene and Ristolainen. And, you know, then they have the talent up front. I mean, I know, you know, a lot of people think Jeff Skinner is overpaid and probably is at the contract, but now that doesn't matter. I mean, he's on the team and he's under contract. So, um, you know, I think Buffalo hangs around all year long. I don't, still not buying that they're a complete, you know, one of the top eight in the conference and a playoff team, but definitely improved. And obviously they've taken to this, uh, you know, Ralph Kruger approach, which is really one of the amazing, you know, guys, things in all of sports. The guy was running a soccer team, and now he's back in the NHL coach. It's pretty amazing. It's unbelievable, and I think a lot of it stems from from the World Cup, right? I mean, what he did with that underdog Team Europe to get them all the way to the final, and I think with Buffalo, it wasn't a talent issue as much as it was a an ability to get the most out of some of those guys. They had some guys that didn't believe, right? They had you know uh, Ristolainen and, and, and players like that who were like, "I don't know that I want to be here." They lost Ryan O'Reilly. Like I, I think Ralph's biggest thing is to instill a belief and a confidence in these guys and to let them play. You know, you talked a little bit about the Panthers not thinking. I, I think it's the same thing with Buffalo. It's a much happier ship uh, seven games into this season than than maybe it was the last seven games of last season. Yeah, I would agree. And they've also, he's really, again, what a lot of these good teams are doing. We saw last year, you know, go back to St. Louis with Sunquist, Steen, and Barbashev, great fourth line. You know, that Johan Larson line for Buffalo, you know, Ralph Kruger plays them. And he gives confidence in them, much like the Panthers with the Achari line. You know, they're playing 12, 13 minutes a game. When you do that, it just takes, number one, pressure off your top guys. And number two, it's a real team. You know, you don't have some guys sitting there and, and skipping shifts and playing seven, eight minutes a night. And I think that's a, that's a factor. So this Kruger thing is, um, is interesting. I take some big guts, you know, to go out and, and hire a guy that had been out of the league. I know, like you said, he coached the World Cup a few years ago, but – I mean, again, the guy was running a soccer team in Europe as the chairman for five years, and you go and hire him a head coach trying to fix your franchise, that, that takes some guts, and so far it seems to be working out. The other thing that struck me when we were there is, you know, the morning skate, Ralph was talking, and he made the comment that I thought it was interesting. I expect the exact same thing whether you're 18 years old or you're 35 years old. So he is not a big um, excuses guy as far as the young players are concerned, and you know, that's the old Lou Lamorello, right? Take all of the excuses away. Any excuse a player could possibly have, or, well, I didn't play well because, the food, the hotel, whatever it is, take all the excuses away, you know, put it on the players, put them in the best position to succeed, and right now it seems like Kruger's doing that in Buffalo. You know, one of the things with the Sabres, I just think they're playing faster. 
I just think that mm-hmm. they're, they're entire all over the ice. They are faster. Before we let you go, Goldie, though, I, I, Sean and I are going to dive into this. Uh, it's a fun little exercise, and I wanted to tee it up with you. Peter Cech, the famous Czech-born goalie in soccer, played years with Chelsea and Arsenal in the English Premier League. I'm not a soccer guy. Sean's a soccer guy, so he knows a heck of a lot more <laughs> about this than me. He is now playing for the, what is it, the Guildford Phoenix in the second division of Great Britain's National Ice Hockey League. If you could take a player from another sport and put him on the ice, who, him or her on the ice, who would it be and why? Well, because I know him and I know how big of a hockey fan he is, and I use the word big literally and figuratively, <laughs> and I know the passion he has for the sport and the knowledge he has for the sport, and it would just be interesting to see a guy 6'10 on skates, I'm going to go with the top-ranked American tennis player, John Isner. John Isner is a hockey junkie, okay? He's got fantasy leagues. He asks me questions sometimes. Hey, what is this guy? How is this guy going to fit in? The guy absolutely loves hockey. I would love to see big John Isner at 6'10", get on the ice and maybe skate against Adeno Chara because that's the only guy in the league that's basically his size. He was on. He was on my list actually, and uh, I'm curious where would you put him? I, I had him kind of as a as a big Shea Weber bomb from the point mm-hmm. with his with his big serve. But you could put him in front of the net on the power play. How, if you were the coach of this all other sport team, where would you put him? You know, I probably put him at the point. He is such a nice guy. I don't know if he, he doesn't have a mean bone in his body, Sean. <laughs> so I, I, it's hard to put him in front of the net. Although you don't get cross checked like you used to. I, I think I agree with you. I think I put him at the point. Hopefully he can one day replicate the tennis serve with the slap shot on the power play, and, and and let him just bomb away. You know he's a big and he's a big Carolina Hurricanes fan. That's his that that's his team. He was there during the playoffs. They had him do the pregame thing last year. Um, so I'd love to see him play hockey. I'm not sure he'd ever try, but I'd love to see it. John Isner is a great answer, but my goodness, this was your chance to say "World Be Free." World. Oh, be that's free. true. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just I don't think World B can skate, Dan. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about that either. <laughs> Goldie, this was great, man. I appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you coming on, all right? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Enjoyed it. Follow Steve on Twitter, at Goldie on Ice. Sean, let's go to you. All right, well, first off, Peter Check was the man of the match. He had a great game in his game for the Guildford Phoenix. All right, who are you bringing in? Who's who's coming off the uh, another field and coming onto the ice for Sean Rourke's team? Not only was he the man in the match, he stopped two penalty shootouts yes, at did. the end to win with his Dominic Hoshik mask. Domina- the Dominator mask. He That's was right. the Dominator. So uh, it's unbelievable. I don't know if we could pick anybody else that could have well, that on, same you, impact. The, one of the things that you said to me, you said it was it would be like David Beckham <laughs> playing for the Wheeling Nailers. That's kind of what it is, right? That's this exactly is, what, this is what it is. is. This okay. is this is a passion play. This is not to be famous. This is nothing. He's a goalie. It's in his DNA. Yeah. All goalies are like that. It's just a different sport now. So, right, who are you bringing in? So, this was a fun exercise because I had a lot of fun thinking about it. I tried to fill all the different positions. The first guy that jumped into my mind, it's actually two guys, and I put them on both wings on the power play. Rob, Gon- Rob Gronkowski, he's retired now. He needs something to do. <laughs> yeah. He's thinned down a little bit. He's ready to, to play along the boards, get in front of the net. And J.J. Watt on the other side. Oh, J.J. Yeah. Watt played hockey until he was 13 years old, and he started outgrowing his equipment, couldn't really afford to keep changing, and said, you know what, I'm going to go play football. But he is a hockey guy through and through. I'm going to give you the center on that line, Tom Brady. Tom wow. Brady is the same. Well, first off, he's in terrific shape. We know that. So he could probably come right off the Patriots. But he doesn't get hit in, in New England. So Tom Brady centering a line with J.J. Watt and Rob Gronkowski. I like that. Another one, I got LeBron James on the wing. He's a true power forward. And my favorite as a diehard New York Mets fan, P. 
Pete Alonzo shooting from the point, smashing the puck like he smashes baseballs. See, I have him in the OV spot. Okay, just, fine. Just, put him on the OV spot. Just firing right. away, right? And and we got to put a soccer player in there, right? Because that's where this you whole can. thing started from. <laughs> so I'm thinking we put a, a good Swede in there. We'll put Zlatan Abramovich in there from okay. LA Galaxy. Okay. Dude knows how to score goals, and I bet you he'd know how to score them on the ice. I got another one for you. It's a little bit out there. Taco Fall, seven foot seven basketball player, just signed with the Celtics. He's in front of the net. Put him right in front of the net. Nobody goalie. We think Chara shields. You know, a goalie's eyes. Seven foot seven. This guy's almost a foot taller than Chara. It was the Islanders, right, who kind of joked around that maybe a sumo wrestler would work yes. as a goalie. Maybe we put Vince Wilfork in goal. All right, and you got to, of course, have Bill Belichick coaching the special teams, devising power plays and penalty kills. He could coach everything probably, but I just want him specifically on the power play and the penalty kill. What do you think about that, Mr. Patriots fan? Uh, I like it. I want Jim Harbaugh as the, as the head coach, kind of Mike Babcock okay. knockoff. Pudge Rodriguez as the goaltender. <laughs> Wait, we got Vince Wilfork. We're good. Uh, yeah, but I like uh, fine. You have Wilfork. <laughs> All right, too. he's I, the backup. I got Pudge. I got Pudge. Well, this this is a fun exercise, and and you guys can do this too. F- send them to us. Send us your ideas to at the rink uh, on Twitter. You could also send it to at D Rosen NHL and give your plug for your Twitter at S Rourke underscore nhl there you go because i couldn't remember it so he has to do it <laughs> i almost couldn't remember. you almost couldn't remember it and that is it for this podcast this week sean this was great it was nice having somebody else in the chair right next to me to do it with me so very much enjoyed it subscribe and listen to the other podcasts on the nhl podcast network as well you got fantasy on ice with pete jensen and rob reese the executive suite with deb placey draft class with adam kimmelman and mike morial and until next week sean enjoy the game Always.